Hello and welcome to another episode of Tour Guide Talks, the travel show about the people we trust to teach us about local history, local gastronomy, local haunts, and who give us directions to great finds and secret experiences. In this show, we're going to talk about our tour guide's travel philosophy and why they chose a career in this intriguing profession. With this show, there is no need to write anything down. We will leave links in the show notes so you can reference the places that are discussed. Enjoy the show, and thank you for coming along for this tour guide talk. As a side show note, Tour Guide Talks was born during the COVID-19 pandemic. In order to be a responsible talk show, recording has been done over phone lines, Wi-Fi connections, or over video conferencing. As a result, recording levels are not always perfect and sometimes there will be inconsistencies. Toby, can you hear me? This is Alvaro from Tour Guide Talks. Uh, can, can you turn down the music? We're supposed to do an interview. Can, can you, Toby, can you hear me? Hey, are you there? Yeah, I'm hearing, yeah, sorry, sorry. Let me, let me turn down that music. I'm just leaving the club. Hang on, hang on. Okay. Okay, that's better, Toby. Can, can you hear me okay now? Hey, that's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm with you. I can hear you. All right. Okay, you would be since I'm telling you what, that... That techno music going on all night long. What a stereotype. Is it true? Not, not at all. No, I, I hardly ever go clubbing. <laughs> and there's a beautiful other side to Ibiza that people just aren't aware of. So um, it's not all techno music and, and boom, 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 drugs and drugs and cocaine. It's a lot, lot of other stuff here. Oh, all right. You're making me want to go to Ibiza. So hello, <laughs> Tour Guide Talks. This is Alvaro, your host. And we are on today with Toby in Ibiza. And we played that along just to have some fun. But uh, yeah, there is a stereotype about Ibiza. We will get into that stereotype. Uh, but I brought Toby on because I wanted to talk about the other side of Ibiza, the very beautiful side of Ibiza where people go and want to see its majesty and want to see its beauty, want to see its history. And then at night they can ha- take a nap at 7 o'clock, get up at 9 and party till the rest of the, till the sun comes up again. So welcome to the show, Toby. Thank you very much. A, a pleasure to be here and hopefully to to get rid of a few myths about Ibiza along the way. Great. Then tell me, why should people go and visit Ibiza? I think Ibiza is one of the most varied islands I know in the world. I've traveled quite a lot around the world and been to some amazing places, but I still come back to Ibiza and go, you can come here and do basically anything you want, you know, from you can go to the biggest nightclub in the world and do all the drugs and all that side of thing. But then afterwards you can go to, we have the um, some of the best restaurants here in the world now. We have a, the first Michelin starred restaurant on Ibiza, um, was awarded last year, which is really exciting. And then we have the beautiful nature here as well. People just don't believe how beautiful nature is on Ibiza. We have over 170 beaches, um, massive cliffs everywhere. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I've traveled all over the world, but for me, this is, this just ticks every box for me. So, something about that topography that I want to get into. How was Ibiza actually created? Is it a volcano island? Uh, was it? How how was it created? No, it actually was. Uh, it came out the bottom of the seabed. So, they reckon about twenty million years ago, something like that. There was a um, a fault line that moved, which is in the in about a hundred miles south of Ibiza. It moved about twenty million years ago, and it pushed out the sea. 
uh, Ibiza, so Formentera, um, Mallorca, but Menorca was already there, that's a much older island, and also pushed up the Sierra Nevada mountain range at the same time. And then over many years, oh, wow. the sea the sea flooded in from to create the Mediterranean, and then now what is left is, is Ibiza. So it's basically a, a limestone and sandstone island. While we're talking about old, can you give me some idea of who has ruled over Ibiza over the years? Sure, yeah, it's got a, a really super interesting history. The first civilized people here who actually built houses were the Phoenicians in 653 BC. So give or take 2,600 years ago of history we got here. And then basically everyone's had a go to Ibiza. Everyone's come by it and tried to rule it from the Carthaginians, the Phoenicians, as I said. Then we go sort of to the Romans into the, the turn of the, the century. Then we've had the Vandals, the Byzantians. And the last people to jump to who's ruling it now is the Christian Catalans, and they invaded in 1235. So they're still in, still in rule today. I'm waiting to see who's going to take over next. Yeah, so don't, don't be surprised when you go to Ibiza and you get a tour with Toby that you're going to hear a lot of Catalan. Most people believe that Castellano is the official language of Spain, or it's, it is, but it's, it's only one of the official language, languages of Spain. In our pre-show, we were talking about how Catalan is the official language of Ibiza. Yeah, it, it only actually officially changed in 1999. A new um, political party came in, and they decided they wanted to um, make the language Catalan again. So literally over a two-week period, all the signs, because all the towns and villages were all named in Castellano, so they took down all the old signs and put up the new ones in Catalan. And some of them are quite similar, so you can still understand what they are. But the biggest, and this is the crazy one, Ibiza is Castellano, um, but Ibiza is Catalan. And the spelling is totally different. You know, you've got I-B-I-Z-A in Castellano, and Catalan is E-I-V-I-S-S-A. So it looks different, the word's not yeah. the same at all. So suddenly all the tourists were looking to go back to Ibiza town, and no one could find Ibiza because it was now Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite, quite, quite hilarious. And now actually in um, a whole twist of fate, they did a massive marketing campaign promoting Ibiza and it totally flopped because no one knew it. So now that from a marketing point of view, oh. you know, the tourist board now calls it Ibiza, I-B-I-Z-A. So they've done a, because they realize yeah. it's one of the best marketing names in the world. You know, nearly everyone's heard of Ibiza. And you put something with a beether on it and it sells. So it's it's a great, great uh, marketing name to keep. That's a funny thing that has been consistent here in Spain, right? Because in the 70s, or I should say in the Franco era, people were only allowed to speak Castellano. And if you have listened to this show before, you have heard us refer to this, that Franco only wanted people speaking Castellano or Spanish. And then when he died, the Catalans took that back and, and took that identity back and then transferred everything mm -hmm. over to, to Catalan, the language prior to Franco. Yeah, but they didn't actually change the, the language officially to Catalan until about three years ago. So um, all the schools were still being taught in Castellano and they changed it to Catalan about three years ago, which created a big upheaval here because everyone's going, why should they learn Catalan? Because the language of that everyone speaks here is Castellano. So it's slowly changing around. And of course, we also have the local dialect of Ibithink. So they, they also have their own twist on Catalan, which is the real local dialect of Ibithink. So that's consistent also with, Mayor, with Mallorca, right? Because they have Correct. Uh, Mallorquí, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is a twist of Catalan. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So why do tourists come to Ibiza? Ibiza's got, for me, one of the most varied 
landscapes and things you can do here you know you can come if you want to and still i don't know what the official figures are but something like 90 percent of people here still do come to party take drugs get their eardrums blasted out by techno music and house music and everything else and that's still a huge percentage of people here i mean we have clubs here that you know take ten thousand people a night for three months of the year so that sort of gives you some idea of how many people have to wow. come here just to do that but then on the other side of it, and it's definitely growing over the years that I've seen it, we've got the most amazing restaurants here. We've got the first Michelin-starred restaurant, which um, was awarded um, at the back end of last year, which is absolutely brilliant to have that on the island. And we've also got, you know, 170 beaches here. We've got incredible high cliffs to walk along. We've got um, some of the most crystal clear waters in the world here, especially um, around some of the areas in, on Formentera, our sister island. So it's just a huge, varied place. We've got a lot of history here, lots of ruins here. We've got the um, Dal Villa, the, the, the high town in Ibiza town, which is one of the only walled cities in the world. You can walk around the entire walled city, which is a, a great oh, really? experience to do and so, soak in all the history. Most histories. of them have been knocked down. No, it's, it's one of the only ones. I think Malta has the other one. The, the, all the walls are still intact, and you can walk around the whole um, old walled city. So it's a really super thing to do and there's lots of little hidden bars and restaurants a few interesting museums we have some very good contemporary museums here with um, great artists and of course Ibiza attracts a lot of artists as well so we have some really good artists here musically wise as well but actually painting artists sculpturists all sorts of different people doing artists artwork as well so it has a lot just so our listeners know before we go further you said brilliant a very English way of saying great. How are you English and how did you end up in Ibiza? Well, I, I, I'm one of the blessed ones, I say. So I actually came here in my mum's tummy. Oh. So my, my parents were two um, hippies living in England at the time. Awesome. And they received a letter from a, some friends living here saying, we found paradise, you have to come. So my parents gave everything up in England came here for a holiday for to visit their friends for two weeks and I was in my mum's tummy then and ended up staying 10 years so I was actually lucky enough to be born here in the 70s which was a an, so I had an amazing amazing childhood here so I'm I am Spanish by being born on Ibiza but both my oh. parents are English so I'm actually English and I've got an English passport so so you have both Spanish and, I, and English then, passports no unfortunately Spain is one of the only countries where you can't have dual nationality oh so you either have to have an English one or I give up my English one and I can have a Spanish one very easily. But at the moment, I don't think we should go down that route of discussing yeah, England's yeah. <laughs> England at the moment. But um, at the moment, I'm still sticking with the English one, but I might get a Spanish one. I'm, I'm, the, the jury's out still at the moment. Okay, cool. Well, then how did you, uh, you decided to come back to Ibiza after going and uh, living in England? What made you create a tour company? So the, I do two, I've got two tour companies. One of them does walking. Um, purely walking out in the countryside and that I started 10 years ago but um, the food tour company started when I was actually on my travels once and we were in Budapest of all places which is a most multicultural city I've been to it's a brilliant brilliant city and someone in the hotel said we were saying what, what we should do and she got us out a leaflet and said have you ever done a food tour before and we went no but we like food so we did this food tour in Budapest that was just absolutely brilliant. It blew my mind away. You know, they're taking you down these little alleyways and right. going to this bakery and getting fresh bread, you know, which which we know um, we now do. And at the end of the tour, I said, we have to do this in Ibiza. I said, this mm. is just so brilliant. So I went to Ibiza 
um, after the holiday. And I actually initially thought that there might not be enough good places to um, use because Ibiza, um, I started this, what, five years ago now. So I had three months of going around trying all the different places I could think of, which is pretty nice three months and going into bars and restaurants yeah, and talking to them and everything like that. And anyway, it turned out that, yes, we did have enough places to, to do it. So then we launched Ibiza Food Tours. What is the difference? If someone goes to, come, goes to Spain, uh, or they, I should say, comes to Spain, and they are here on the mainland, and they've been eating Spanish food in Madrid, then they come to Barcelona, where there's a little bit more of a seafood influence. Then they go to Valencia, which is the south of here, where it's a little more about the forest type of foods. What's the difference? What's the twist in Ibiza? What type of food would you find there opposed to the mainland here? So in Ibiza, there's lots of influences from all the people that have been here over the years. So the Arabic influence when the, when the Moors were here. We've got um, the, lo the influence of the fishermen a lot here. It was a very poor island until tourism came here in the 50s. So there's a lot of very inventive um, foods they've been making um, with the fish and the potatoes they were growing. So it's a very sort of seafood based with twists of um, what they were using, like the herbs and that. Growing in the wild here, we have about 25 herbs that just grow naturally in the countryside. Yeah. So there's a lot of super nice herby products, like one of the wines they actually filter through wild thyme. Huh. And, um, and they did that to, to stop the the tubes blocking up with all the grapes. So they put wild thyme in it so the wine would filter through. And we we try that on the tour. So you're, you're drinking this beautiful red wine and it's got a herby taste of wild thyme in it. So it's huh. really, really nice. And, yeah, you um, wouldn't find that here. Rose here, for instance. <laughs> you, no, you wouldn't find <laughs> probably, it here. It's, it's quite a particular taste. You either love it or you hate it. <laughs> oh, really? It's that interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also have um, a lovely dish called um, Bulle de Peche which is basically um, a, f um, a, a lovely dish made from monkfish. So we, we're an island, so the fishermen, are, we've got great, great, great supply of seafood here. And then it's um, flavored also, with saffron. Also known as rape, right? So this is a, you'll see, sometimes see on the menu yeah. as rape. Yes, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, that's savored with um, wild saffron, which just grows out in the fields here again, which is crazy really? that saffron is so expensive and you can sometimes go foraging and find the the bits of the saffron, which is pretty amazing. It comes out of a flower, So we've got right? dishes like that. Yeah, yeah. And other dishes, it's very famous for um, its version of sobrasada, which is the blood sausage. So we have sobrasada, butifara, and all the, the different, like um, the red, the raw sausage, and the blood sausage, and the white sausage as well. So every year they have, they still um, have the matanza here. Uh -huh. it's, it's slowly going, but that, this is every year where the family would kill their family pig. And then the whole um, neighborhood comes to help and they literally use every part of the pig from the, the, the snout to the tail. Have you so experienced we have a that? Lot of, a lot of pork products. Have you seen one of I've those? Be, I've, been, I've been, when I was a kid, I remember seeing the pigs being hung up and then <laughs> and then cut. And it was very much day of the, the way life was back then. You know, you heard the screaming of the pig across the valleys. Right. And now I think if anyone tried that, there'd be quite a lot of um, uproar about, you know, kill the pig a bit humanely that's a pretty interesting process because the blood gets salted the pig gets quartered and then everyone has their own job as far as how they're going to process it and you're right nothing gets wasted even down to the blood where they get the blood sausage yeah 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 and in the blood sausage here the sobrasada they they flavor it with the herbs again so the herbs keep 
making a comeback into lots of dishes here so that they do a lot of that we wouldn't have herbs put in in the blood sausage here it's not there's not herbs no. in it. it's pretty much just the the fat rice and the and and then the blood that gives it that really dark rich iron color yeah so no they they put one mainly rosemary in it so you have a nice rosemary taste to it which is love rather it. nice love it so and then i was just going to say then on the sweet side you know the spanish love anything sweet you know we have a we have a great explanation of the coffees we we do on the tour so they have the the bonbon coffee which has the condensed milk in the bottom i think that's you, you have that there as well i think we don't that that is something i want you to explain because here are probably the most famous one is the cortado espresso yes. shot with the a little bit of milk or i should say probably half uh, but i want to know about the sweet side because we don't that's not very common here now we can get it but it's not you have to ask for it and it's, it's rare yeah here you see generally now it's generally the older guys that have it it's um a coffee that, but they start out in the glass with a shot of um condensed milk in the bottom first then they put the coffee in and then they pour the milk on the top so you, if they do it really well you'd end up with it separated and then they also, the, lo the locals here would even then put in maybe a spoonful or two spoonfuls of sugar on top of everything, oh that, my all the condensed <laughs> milk already. And you taste it and it's just like, ah, it's just like having pure sugar. But you imagine how crazy these guys, they will have, they're getting the shot of coffee and all that sugar in the condensed milk. And it must just get them going for the whole day. You know, it must yeah, right. be a crazy sudden high you get from it. Caffeine but, um, and sugar. Not, not very healthy, I'm thinking. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> no. it's okay. You can you can walk it off. I yeah. want to get into uh, some of your tours. Obviously, Ibiza, beautiful, uh, amazing. How did you structure your tours around your surroundings? Uh, the food tour is great, so we can excite our taste buds. But what about visually? How did you look at what Ibiza has to offer and then create tours around geographies? Yeah, n nice question. The Ibiza is a, a very small island, so straight away I thought the only place to do it is actually in the town of Ibiza. So we have the island of Ibiza, but the, the, the capital is called Ibiza as well. And it's got this amazing backdrop of the walled city. So we have this walled city that was finished in 1585, and the walls in some parts are 30 meters high. So it's really visually everywhere, every corner you turn, you've got this massive walled city around you. And then so we've got 30 meters in American well. is about 90 feet. That's pretty tall. Yeah. Oh, they're big. They're big walls. Yeah. Which is why it was um, so difficult to come here and try and take over the island. So it's, it's a pretty impressive um, sight to see. I immediately thought, well, we've got to have a tour around this area here. And then actually it was more because we haven't got, you know, it's not like Barcelona where we've got thousands upon thousands of restaurants and bars. So I actually had to then find the places that I really wanted to work with and wanted to work with us as well because they'd never heard of a food tour before. And when I first started going in to explain to them what I was doing, they were like going, but that doesn't make any sense. You're going to come in and just try something little and then leave. Right. And they couldn't and pay comprehend for it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I found the good places that we work with and we still work with most of the original places. So and what was very important to me as well, that we actually walk into the old town as well. So we're outside in the new town in the big modern squares but we also go into the old town as well and down the little alleyways and find these secret little cafes and bars around around the, the corners and also mix it up between sweet and savory because, as I just touched on, yeah. a lot of stuff here is sweet, so it's getting enough savory stuff as well. And getting in, the, there's there's a few little quirky places here that we take people to, like this, this really cool tea shop, which you'd think is not Spanish at all, which it isn't, but we've got this great character um, called Felix who owns this tea shop with over 300 different types of teas in it. 
right. and we got him to make a particular tea for us with all the herbs of Ibiza. So he got well, he went out and spoke to all his old farmer friends that he knew, and they now grow the wild herbs, the wild herbs for us, and then um, harvest them when we have this special tea just produced for Ibiza food tours. So it's so that's really nice as well. Very nice. What's the best way to see the city? Do you walk it? Or do you walk the island? Do you ride a bike? How do you get out and see it? D definitely in the city. It's if you want to go inside the the city, the old town Dow Villa, then you've got to walk. It's um it's all cobbled streets, you know, steep. Some of them are steep and that. So the only way is to walk. If you want to get out and see the the whole island, then car is really the the place, the thing to do. Or now really coming into their own is the electric bikes. You know, the e bikes to get up so, the up the hills. Really makes life a lot easier than a standard bike <laughs> yeah and the technology's come on so far now that um the e-bikes you know you can do 100k in them and you come back and you you haven't sort of lost the will to live yeah you can still go out and party <laughs> that night yeah yeah exactly you can still got some energy left yeah <laughs> so how do people see the whole island do you offer a tour that people can see the whole island or are you just in the main city from the food tours point of view we only do in in um abitha town but we also offer a um, either a, a drive and wine tour or a walk and wine tour. Mm -hmm. And that's in one of the valleys on Ibiza. We've got one valley, which is particularly where the traditionally all the wine production was, which is San Mateo. And they're still growing all the grapes there. And it's very much a booming industry, to be honest, on Ibiza. So we do a tour where we can either walk and we visit um, two or three of the bodegas. And at each one, we have some tastings and some tapas and... We try like the, the traditional cheese of Ibiza, which is the goat's cheese, mm. the sobrasada, and all sorts of other nice tapas typical of Ibiza. And we're trying the, the wines as well. And of course, here we have the liquor yerbas. I don't know if you've, you've heard of Explain that one. Explain that. I I've never heard of that before. No, so yerbas is um, a liquor. Yerbas in um, English means herbs. So it, was, it keeps coming back to the herbs again, the herb connection. And basically what they do is they take the main herb that grows here, which is anise or fennel. So it's, mm -hmm. um, but most people know it was where perno comes from and ouzo in other places. So they take that and then it, they actually put into the bottle itself 23 herbs. So they physically put the whole herb inside the huh. bottle. Then you have to leave it for three months and all the herbs infuse into the alcohol. And then you, that's the, that's the traditional liquor here. That's so you traditionally not, be given it at the end of a meal. Not 24. Nope. 23 got to be 23 <laughs> and if you if you don't happen to have 23 because you can only find less it's always got to be an odd number it can't be an even number <laughs> i'm thinking that through so if it's a little bit less a little bit more it ruins it then i guess it's not the the right flavor <laughs> that's must be yeah and i i do a workshop where people get to make their own yerbas and then they take it away with them and i just say as long as it's an odd number it's okay but um, don't put an even number in or else it's supposed to be a, you know, superstition. It makes it a, ba a bad bottle of yerbas. Man, I don't know about your tours, Toby. I, I think I'll be drunk between all the wine and the, the liquor. And <laughs> It can happen. <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's leave, the, let's leave the land. Tell me about the kayak. I'm, I'm really interested in seeing Ibiza from the sea. Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your, your kayak tours because I understand you do one at sunset. Yeah. Ibiza's, as I said, got so many wonderful things to things to do, and I do a lot of walking on land with the food tours and the walking tours. 
And then one day I, I went out in a kayak and I was like, wow, this just ba this balances out sort of nature for me. So you're getting nicely grounded on the ground. And so then I started doing kayaking tours and we leave from a, a beautiful beach in the north, um, San Miguel, Puerto de San Miguel. And we go out about two hours before sunset and we go, go into some really cool caves. There's a lot of caves on Ibiza because it's a limestone island. So a lot of great caves we go into. Then we actually go around the bay to the beach of Beniras. And Beniras is famous for um, lots of hippies coming down at sunset and doing bongo drumming. So oh. it started back in the about 2005, something like that. And now, not this year, but normally at this time of year, there's maybe something anywhere between 20 and 100 people bongo drumming. So it's really the, the whole primeval, as you come in by the kayak and you slowly hear the drumming, and there's lots of hippies, of course, they're smoking dope and dancing half naked and everything. And it's just a whole amazing spectacle. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. And it's become, some people say it's been ruined because now there's too many tourists go there and they have to limit the numbers of people that go to the beach. But it's still got that magic about it. It's still um, a beautiful, beautiful experience. And we, we stop on the beach. People can have a dance and a drink if they want. Um, You're watching the sun go down as this is happening then? Yeah. Yeah, and it's a real beautiful experience. But then normally about um, 20 minutes before the sun actually goes into the sea, we get back in our kayaks and we kayak out to this magical rock. It's called the Finger of God because it looks like a finger sort of sticking up in the sea like it's God's finger coming up. Uh -huh. We go out to, and stop around that um, the, the, the massive rock still with the drumming in the background and we watch then the sun disappear into the sea. Oh. It's, it's a magical experience. It's, it's really... Brings people to sort of um, emotion sometimes, you know. It's it's because a, a, it's just so primeval with the drumming and the sun going down, and it's just a lo lovely, lovely moment. It's really, really nice. So, does Ibiza have that? I know in other parts of the world, they always come out, like you said, 10, 20 minutes before the sun goes down, and you watch the the sun fall into the, the in your case, the sea. Uh, do you guys have that that every night that everyone goes out to watch it? Yeah, the sir, we only get the sunset in on one side of the island, of course. Mm -hmm. But in, um, so it's, at Beniras, it's very famous because you've got the drumming. But then more, the other sort of place is more um, in San Antonio, which is where most of the party people go. Not traditionally, they used to go, they go there, but now they sort of split themselves up between San Antonio and Playa de Bossa. There's sort of two party sides now. And there's a famous bar there called Cafe del Mar, which most people have heard of. They were the, the people that started the Balearic beat music and the DJs and everything like that. So there's an area there where you go to to watch the sunset and there's a, normally a famous DJ playing Carl Cox or Pete Tong or someone playing some music and it's always their job to do to put a song on that really fits sunset and just as the sun disappears, mm. that's when the music stops. <laughs> and they've got to time it exactly right. And if they get it one second wrong, everyone boos them. <laughs> <laughs> so you brought up music and techno. Uh, give us a little bit of insight into the stereotype. How did it start? I mean, obviously you have the, the, the drums and the drum circles happening, which is, I guess, the opposite end of techno, but at the same time, they're both beat-driven. When did Ibiza become this place for house techno music? How did that evolve into what it is today? It started out in the 80s, and there was a couple of sort of the, the genre Balearic beats um, was coming about. And that was like um, Café del Mar and those sort of people. There was a DJ who was um, started DJing out of his garage. And that is what is now the super club at Amnesia. 
And it actually, what, what really made it take off is a load of English people came over. Oh, no, here we um, go. And now they're all the famous DJs in English again, <laughs> like um, Pete Tong and um, Carl Cox. They all came over as friends from England. And they saw what was happening and the music and the vibe, and they loved it so much. They went to a club and said, can we take over the club for a night and play our own music? So they came over and they went back to England and said, hey, come to this magic island. So they brought over a few thousand people with them. Hmm. And that's how it all started. So it actually was the English that started it. Oh. <laughs> and then it just, and it was the first time when a club called Amnesia was then um, hosting nights by other people. So it was like Cocoon at Amnesia. Oh, right. And then um, the very famous night, um, Manumission started up, which is where mm -hmm. um, they're still here, the couple that started that. And they had live sex on the stage and the most crazy sort of things going on. And the word just started getting out and the drugs started flowing in. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew into into what it is now, which is I think it's the location which the most people come in the world just to go clubbing. So how did the visa handle this? Did they like it? Did they not like it? Did, was there pushback when they started seeing all this take over? I mean, obviously it did some wonders as far as tourism is concerned, and it brought in a lot of money, I'm sure. But I'm sure culturally, uh, it must have been a different experience and realization for them, where they wouldn't want it; they'd want that to go away. How do they deal with that? How do they balance that out? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I always sort of look at it that Ibiza has been, um, had so many different people come into it over the, the thousands of years. So the Ibithincans, when the hippies arrived in the 50s and 60s, you know, the farmers still carried on farming and they just watched the hippies go by and waved at them and let them get on with their smoking dope and whatever it was. And they used to call them the hairies because the all hairies. the hippies had loads of hair. Oh, so yeah, okay. The hairies, yeah. here, come, here come the hairies. <laughs> and they just accepted them very openly and then when tourists started to arrive again just accepted them openly and if they had a if someone came and knocked on their door looking for a room to rent you know they go hey yeah if you want a room come in and have food and everything so they've been very accepting to all the changes that have gone on here for thousands of years and it's been exactly the same with with um all the tourists now i mean it's it's sort of people are saying it's getting to a tipping point last year we had four million visitors on this tiny little island so it's a lot a lot a lot of people and people are saying it's get it's just got too much. The, for instance, the, the the structure can't cope with it. You know, the sewage treatment work, um, the taxis, um, the restaurants, and everything. So it's it's been a, a massive change for the island, but it has coped with it. But some people are saying it's not, now enough is enough. And then this year's happened, and they've got their wish. <laughs> when are the seasons for when everyone is in Ibiza? So the the two busiest months are July and August. So those are the two crazy months. And I sort of say, unless you really want to come to a, a really super busy island and it's super hot, of course, as well. Those are the two months. It's still amazing here because you can go walking in nature or you can do the kayak trip and you, you're just yourselves. But you've got to sort of know where to go because all the beaches are busy, the restaurants are busy. So that's um, the most two busy months. And the sort of season is normally by when the first super club opens and then it when it closes. And that's normally... Um, towards the end of May, the 23rd, 24th is the official start of the season with the first Super Club opening. And then now they actually um, close the first week of October. Hmm. The, the last one closes in the first week of October, but normally they close anywhere from you know, mid-September to October time. In the down season, you still have and can offer your tours, right? You still have people showing up. It's just not the hardcore yep. clubs. Yeah, the busier time for the walking tours and the food tours is actually the shoulder seasons. 
because July and August, it's generally a bit too hot and people are going, oh, I don't want to walk around and do a food tour or a walking tour. The kayaking is is um, very popular, of course, because you can jump in the sea and cool down. But our, normally we start our season, the food tour season, from um, Easter, whenever that is, sort of um, April, May, April time, something late March, April time. And then we go um, right way through to Christmas time normally. So oh. um, no, November, December is beautiful here. You know, lots of sunny days, not many people here, and it's a, a beautiful, beautiful season up to Christmas. And then after Christmas, the food tours, we stop because there's just not enough people here. But for the walking tours, we do all year. So we're walking with people um, 12 months a year. I read on your website that you do just a free tour just to get out and walk. So we do different walks in the countryside, and we offer com- what we call community walks. So anyone can come along. And if someone can't afford it or they're in a difficult situation, I still think it's so important to be able to um, connect with nature. And it does people so much good to go out and do a walk in nature. So for me, it was very much important that um, if people can't afford it and they're in a bad situation, they can still come on one of those walks. We ask for it, we do it on a, on a um, donation basis. So basically pay, pay what you can. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because you have to give back, right? I mean, it isn't all about us because Ibiza has to be shared. Yeah, and it goes back to... When I started my, um, when I first came back here after being in, back in England, I actually walked around the entire coastline and I decided only to take one euro with me. So I walked around the whole entire coastline and it was a 260 kilometer journey in the end of walking around the coastline. Hold on but one second, let, let, let me break that gen- down. 260 kilometers is 130, then you add to, so that's about 150 uh, yeah. miles. That's 100, about 155 miles, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. What do yeah, you think yeah, of that so calculation in my of, head? That was pretty good. I was I was impressed with that You're math- mathematician. <laughs> uh, no, I just know the formula in my head because I think in uh, okay. I think in miles, and when I see stuff and it says a uh, hundred kilometers, uh, the formula is is that you cut it in half, so you would go fifty kilometers, and then you add ten percent of the original number, so that's how you get to sixty. Uh, okay, right. You know, I'll, I'll not, remember that, that one. Smart. I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on, on that round the island walk. Um, I was relying on generosity of people. So I was wow. going into bars and restaurants, telling them what I was doing, and they were giving me free food. And that's why then when I started doing the walks afterwards, I thought I want to give back to the island like it gave to me. So that's where it actually, the, the idea came from. Well, good for you, Toby. I'm really happy to hear that, that you're giving back. It's always important, right? Because mm. beauty, nature, travel, seeing things that you don't have an opportunity to see or not be able to see because of the lack of funds or whatever. I think it's very cool to have people that are willing to do that. Okay, Toby, all tour guides know of that little place that is off the beaten path and that in most cases only tour guides know about. Can you give us one of those spots there in Ibiza? Do you take people there or do you let them know that it's there, just go check it out? From a, a food point of view or a wild wild countryside point of view? How about both? Both, I, yeah, I led, led myself into that question. <laughs> Probably from a, from, a, from a food point of view, it, it, it's gotta be um, the place I've already mentioned, Felix. The, the tea shop is is not traditionally Spanish, but he, he is um, born and bred in, in Ibiza, Felix. He's such a character. And then you go in there and he makes the most amazing cakes. And he's, he's got um, the biggest doll collection in Europe. He has 10,000 dolls. So he has some of them in, in his tea shop, but he has a, the biggest collection in, in Europe. So he's a super, you just sort of got to put this character together. And he wears super cool high top sneakers as well. It so it's this whole character. <laughs> okay, Felix. I got so that. I got to check Felix, Felix. out. Yeah. So 
His actual his shop's called um Kierendote. Huh? So um you gotta look look for Kierendote. It's hidden away. No one really knows about it. When we take even local people on a tour, sometimes they come on to, you know, have, have some time out and even they don't know it's there. So it's a real little little gem of a place. Okay, and then outside? Outside, one of my favorite relatively easy walks I do is a place called Heaven's Gate, Puertos de Cielo. And it's this gorgeous walk through this, the forest um, from the town of Santa Ines or the little village of Santa Ines. And you walk through the forest and then you suddenly burst out onto this little platform at the top and you have the most amazing view um, north and south down the coast from 300 meters up. And it's just an amazing, beautiful view. It's And that always sort of blows people away when they see that view. So for me, that's... So you do that on your tour or, or do you tell people to go do that by themselves? Generally or quite often pe people will book me for a private tour and then we take them walking or join one of the community walks. Because the thing with Ibiza is it's about literally... Of all the trails on Ibiza, only about um, five kilometers of them are marked. So there's actually no marked trails to walk in the countryside. So it's quite difficult to point someone and go, yeah, you take the trail and then the left by oh, the big mm -hmm. tree. And when you see this, you turn right and left. So many people join the tours. But if they're adventurous, then I'll send them on their way. Yeah. This is going to be my last question. And uh, this is a difficult question for most people to answer because they feel like they're doing their their island, in your case, a disservice. But what is the one thing you would tell people not to do when coming to Ibiza? <laughs> you laugh because there's more Oof. than one? Well, uh, immediately, just I think of drugs. Right. Don't do drugs. <laughs> uh, then um, that's what most people come here to do. So um, but, but don't how, do how bad is that, drugs. How is that drug culture? <laughs> I mean, because, for example, where I am in Spain, it's semi-legal, right? We have the places that we can go and comparably dispensaries or places that where we can go and buy marijuana and smoke it in these private shops. Uh, how is the drug culture in Ibiza while you brought it up? Is it just marijuana or is it more dangerous drugs? Uh, do people get hurt? Give us some insight into that. Yeah, it's a bit of a, no one really talks about it, which is because no one really wants it to get out because it's not good publicity for the island. Mm -hmm. But most but of the 4 million people you know, a massive proportion of they, that those people come here to take drugs. So there's a huge drug culture here. Marijuana is is legal. You can smoke it, but you can't, um, and you can have enough on on you to smoke for yourself. But you, if you sell it, then that's illegal. Or if you buy it, it's illegal. So it's a weird old thing. And I think you're allowed to grow three plants in your house, something like that. So you that that's consistent here in this part of Spain as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a there's one um, legal place you can go to buy it and smoke it on the island called called cloud i think something like that i've, ne I've never been but um there is one place you can go but apart from that all the other drugs are illegal and there's all these millions of people taking it so you imagine there's a big culture of supply people supplying it and all this so that's a culture and you know, a massive illegal culture going on yeah i was about to ask how do they get it in because they're not are they bring it on the airplanes or is it produced there how was that how did that even happen i, d I don't want to um instigate anyone <laughs> ah, okay okay fair enough <laughs> but i um, no, I, I don't for sure I, I don't know exactly how it happens but there's all talks of people come over by boat and then they drop it down um and put a gps oh. marker on it and then the next day someone goes and picks it up and brings it in and all sorts of stuff like that but i don't know there's just there's um the series on tel on netflix white lines if you've watched that mm -hmm, i have not a, a, a thing that's it's supposedly based on a beta and it's all about the drug culture here 
terrible but quite compulsive viewing and and a lot of that shows how it happens well i don't, I don't think so that probably it's... i'd say go ahead so i was going to say probably what i'd say is um the one thing not to do is still yeah don't take bad drugs i think even though i'm not in that culture at all i don't take take any of that stuff but take good drugs um <laughs> if you do that's when it goes bad <laughs> Because this is a show about tour guides, I mean, these are the realities of what we deal with. Uh, I deal with uh, marijuana here in Barcelona and other drugs that aren't as obvious. But, I, you know, I don't think it should be so much of a taboo. I think that, uh, you know, I warn people when they come to Barcelona, hey, crime really isn't that bad here, but look out for the pickpockets. I mean, that's the biggest crime there yeah. is. So I think it's a good PSA, public service announcement. Hey, don't do drugs and, you know, be secure in what you have because you don't want to get pickpocketed. I think that's actually pretty good advice. Yeah, yeah. You're going to take me on some of these tours. I do want to get into some of these caves on the kayak. I think that will be amazing when I eventually do make it to Ibiza. But I really can't thank you enough for spending some time with us and give us some insight into Ibiza outside of the stereotypes. Uh, but thanks for the clarity and, and teaching us a little bit about Ibiza. So Toby can be found several places. He can be found at walkingibiza.com, and that's uh, walking, no funny spelling, Ibiza, I-B-I-Z-A.com. And you can find him on the social handles on Facebook and Instagram at walkingibiza. And he has another website for you foodies, and that is Ibiza Food Tours. By the way, great domain name. That's I-B-I-Z-A and then food tours with an s.com and the social media handles for that website are the same as well on facebook and on instagram toby thank you so much for spending the time with us and uh, i really appreciate it and like i said i am going to take that kayak tour when i do get to ibiza absolute pleasure and i'd love to welcome you to ibiza and do the food tour with you a bit of walking in the kayak tour for sure it'd be lovely to welcome you all right thank you so much we'll talk to you soon Thank you again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You will find the show notes on our website at tourguidetalks, that's with an S, dot com. We will leave a link in the show description. We would love to hear your feedback. You can get in touch with us via our website or on all major social media platforms with the handle at tourguidetalks. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any secrets or new information on your favorite travel locations. If you have a show idea or know a guide that should be on this show, please be in touch. Thanks again, and please pass the show on to another travel enthusiast. Ciao.